Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. In 1875, the English poet William Henley penned these famous words, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. He wrote these words while sitting in a hospital bed that he had inhabited for three years, trying to save his second leg from being amputated. Those words embody a sense of our Western cultural narrative. It's, it's a narrative not only of achievement and perseverance, but really, it's a narrative of control. I want to be in control. Here's a man whose literally physical body is on the verge of being drastically changed, and yet he finds himself saying, I'm still the captain. I'm still the one, and spiritual formation is the opposite of that posture. It is not our formation towards the Spirit, but rather it's the Holy Spirit's formation of us. Rather than us acting upon the way of God, it's allowing God to act upon who we are. And this isn't just for the spiritual, it isn't just for the people who are in ministry or going to a Christian university. This is a longing inside every single human being. Ken Shigematsu at one time was the high-ranking executive of Sony working in Tokyo, Japan. He called himself a 7-Eleven man, meaning that he started work at 7 a.m. and didn't get home till 11 p.m. And he did it six days a week. And as he continued to climb the successful ladder within Japan's culture, he found his soul and his spirit to begin to feel depleted. And he became to a crisis of his own life and his own faith. And he discovered two things simultaneously. One, as he looked at his own ancestry, he realized he came from the ancient tradition of the samurai. And as he began to start researching the samurai, he realized that they ordered their life around something called Bushido. And Bushido is a, a pattern or a way of life that draws the community into wisdom, fortitude, loyalty, compassion, and service. Around that same time, he was invited to go to Ireland to go study and to look at some of the work that was being done at, a, at an old monastery there. And he discovered what well, later he would find out to be called a rule of life. And he realized that both his ancestry as a kind of a samurai tradition and also this ancient Christian tradition was something that he desperately needed. He was letting his life slip away under the cultural current rather than intentionally realizing that the central operating system of his life, his spirit, was becoming depleted. This rule of life may be kind of new language for some and maybe familiar for others. But when I say rule of life, don't think rules of life. Rule comes from the Latin word regula, which means a trellis. And it was the idea that if the same way a trellis holds up a vine, that it, the way that you have patterns and rhythms in your life hold up a certain dimension of your life that connects you to or disconnects you to the vine. And this is what Jesus talked about in John 15, which is going to be our scripture for today and also really for the next few months. So if you guys would stand to your feet with me as we read this passage, 
just a way for us to honor the word of God as we read it. This is John speaking to his disciples, and we're reading out of the ESV, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. And here's this, this line that's so staggering and sobering. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you, can, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Holy Spirit, we, we pause to let these words wash over us. Father, we confess that these words may be familiar for some, yet oftentimes they feel forward, foreign in application. So Jesus, I want to sit with this morning this idea of, do I believe that apart from you I can do nothing? Do I believe that to abide in you and for you to abide in me, to be connected as a vine to a branch is the source of life? Or do I see that my abiding in you is attached to my active obeying of commands? And Lord, do I realize that that command is simply to love? So Lord, I pray that as a church, you would teach us what it means to abide in your love, to love our neighbor the way you have loved us, to stay connected to the vine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, this series, we're going to be looking at the theme of spiritual formation. I'm going to borrow a definition from Robert Mulholland, who has written a couple of books. One of them is probably my favorite, favorite on the subject called Invitation to a Journey. And this is how he defines spiritual formation. The process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I want to break that statement up into four different themes this morning that will kind of give us a framework for the next few months. Number one is that there's a process. Secondly, that this process is one where, in which we are being formed. 
that the goal of our formation is to look more and more like Christ, and that as we look more like Christ, it will inevitably affect those around us. Let's kind of work through these four different themes. Number one, I want to talk to you about a process. Now, this is important because spirituality oftentimes has been packaged, specifically Christian spirituality, as something that you arrive at, something you achieve, or something that can happen instantaneously. And that comes from, from two um, large voices within the Christian tradition. Number one is kind of the reform movement that we have learned and gained so much from. But within the reformed movement, there is a, there's a very specific theme that is talked about a lot, and it's called total depravity, meaning there is no goodness inside of you apart from the grace of God. And that any good that you do is a result of the grace of God. And the Bible speaks to this. It speaks to God's initiating, loving act that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And, and there's reasons why that doctrine and that idea has come about. But inadvertently, that idea of total depravity oftentimes removes personal responsibility from us. It removes this sense of action from us that it's only God working in us and that if there's any effort on my end that we need to immediately bring that back to God. And, and one way I would just love for us to kind of think differently about that comes from Dallas Willard who says this in the topic of grace. He says, grace is not opposed to earning. I'm sorry, grace, sorry, grace is opposed to earning but not to effort. Meaning that anything that makes you feel like you're earning your way to God, you should be incredibly leery of. But being invited into effort is incredibly biblical. There's multiple times in the New Testament where the authors encourage you to work towards something, to strive after unity. Paul is saying, I press on towards the goal. There is an active participation involved in our spirituality, which we need to adopt in order to understand process. The second is if you maybe come from more of a charismatic background, is there is a high level of belief that God can do anything in an instant. Now, the same God in the Bible, the miracle-working God that you read about in the Scriptures is here alive in this room. And so with that, there's an emphasis on the miraculous, on healing, all of which, again, the Bible points to. But although we see God heal miraculously in the Bible and instantaneously change someone's circumstance, you never see Jesus make an instantaneous disciple. You cannot find in the New Testament someone who gets their hands laid upon them, a prayer is prayed, and they're automatically a mature follower of Jesus. And so what I want to do for us, and, and the reason I point out these two traditions is these are two I grew up in. I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I went to a charismatic Bible college, and I saw these two things emphasized. But what I found something lacking in my own spiritual journey is this idea of process, that I am on a lifelong process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others that will spill all over into eternity, that it won't happen because I preached a good sermon or Brian or Caitlin preached a good sermon. It won't happen because of a series we went through. It happens when your life orients itself in a new way around the person of Christ. 
2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, this may be the most um, significant verse when it comes to spiritual formation, it says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's so much in this verse that I would love to unpack, but I would encourage you, if there's one verse you'd like to memorize, meditate on this week, it would be this one. But the idea here is that when Christ came, he unveiled our faces. The, the, the veil literally was torn. Now we get to engage with the author here says contemplation. You're thinking upon, thinking deeply about the Lord's glory. And as we think deeply at our attention and our focus on God, what happens? We are being, there's a process of being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, meaning the more you think about and think upon who Jesus is, you are being changed. If you think about C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, Prince Caspian, there's an exchange between a young girl named Lucy and Aslan, this, this lion character who embodies the person of God. And in this exchange, Lucy says, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. This is what spiritual formation does. It does not bring you closer to God. God couldn't be closer to than he is right now to you. But it opens up you and your awareness your receptivity to the person of God in your life. And there's two primary ways that that happens. There's active spirituality and there's passive spirituality. When I'm talking this morning, most of you are starting to think about active spirituality. You think about spiritual disciplines or practices. You think about fasting, prayer, reading scripture, serving the poor, all these, these ancient practices that we engage with, all of which are beautiful and important and they and they move us towards a level of wholeness in Christ. But there's another, and we'll spend, honestly, the next few weeks talking about active spirituality. But I wanted to reference this morning, there's another side to our spiritual formation called passive spiritual formation. This is what is being done to you because the life you're living, the body that you inhabit, that you had no choice in. And the reality is I recognize there's a lot of young people in the room the older you get, the more you are aware of passive spiritual formation because life confronts you with things that remove your sense of control. It happens in your physical body, happens in your relationships, happens in your finances. And you continue to face with, what do I do? What is God doing in my spirit in the midst of this moment? Think about Jesus' reinstatement of, of the apostle Peter after he denied him. And at the end of this conversation, he says, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. That invitation, follow me, by the way, is the invitation of spiritual formation. It's a spiritual it is the invitation of Jesus for every single person in this room. But he points something out to Peter. He says, when you were young, you did what you wanted. 
There's a time coming. You will be led where you do not want to go. You will experience life where control and choices are removed from you. But this is why I find so beautiful. All of this, two things, is to glorify God. And secondly, the command to follow him comes then. Will you follow me then? Will you follow me when life hits you and you're faced with suffering, loss? When you're like, well, Lord, where, where are you in this? The Scottish writer George MacDonald writes about this. He says, to give us the spiritual gift we desire, God may have to begin far back in our spirit, in regions unknown to us, and do much work that can be aware for only in the results. If the gulf of our unknown being, God works behind our consciousness. His holy influence with his own presence. He may be approaching our consciousness from behind, coming forward through regions of our darkness into our light. Long before we begin to be aware, he is answering a request, has answered it, and is visiting his child. Um, there's, uh, the older that I'm, I'm getting, the more I'm finding comfort in this idea that God sometimes is working in my unconscious. I love what he says. He's coming from behind. Have you ever walked through a really hard season, and at the end of it, you're like, wow, God did a lot in me. But in the moment, you're just asking the question, where is God? But God is working. Oftentimes, he's working, like he says, from our darkness into our light. He's, he's doing something that can't be fathomed in the moment, but at the end, we see it. Um, my good friend, Pat Lynch, pastors a church in San Marcos called The Movement, and he's a freak athlete. He was training and was slotted to be one of the best Ironman contenders 10 months ago. And 10 months ago, during the Ironman race that was happening in Utah, a lady fell asleep at the wheel and drove right into the middle of the race, and, he went, and his, his bike went into her car through the window. And he was so badly hurt that the doctors on the scene pronounced him most likely that he would not survive. A matter of fact, the doctors later told him that every single function of his body had failed except for the back of his brain stem that was telling him little tiny pulses to breathe. Everything else had shut down. I ran into Pat last week at an ice cream shop. It was the first time I'd seen him in 10 months. Not in a triathlete's peak condition, walking with a cane. And I'm just asking him, like, how are you, like, how are you doing? How has this process been? And he just talked. He's like, man, this has been the hardest thing, harder than ever training for a triathlon, harder than anything I've ever done. And he looks at me, and he says, he says, people always ask me if I would change it if I could. He says, I have to be honest, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. He says, the things God has done in my life the past 10 months, I don't know if they could have come any other way. And they're so precious to me, I would not have traded the accident for anything. And this is from someone who's experienced a level of suffering and physical pain I, I, I never hoped to experience or anyone that I loved hoped to experience. Yet he finds himself in this place that God is actively working, that he did not sign up for. And so I just wanted us to be aware of that. There is an active spiritual formation that we're going to engage with over the next few months. 
but also know that there's a passive one, that there are things going on in your life right now that you can just by your awareness, you can say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing inside of me? And by noticing what God is up to, it can bring a level of hope and healing. The second part of this definition is not just it's a process, but it's that you are being formed. Now, I wanted to pause right here because our idea of formation, meaning how we're changed, because by the way, we all are undergoing spiritual formation, whether you like it or not. Your spirit is being formed right now. It's being formed when you're on TikTok. It's being formed when you're at work. It's being formed when you're on a date. Your spirit is being formed all the time. But what we have bought into, largely within the Christian faith, is the lie of the enlightenment that transformation happens only cognitively. If you change, it's through your mind. So we have a heavy emphasis on teaching, podcasts, books, because we think that, and now, bear in mind, that is definitely a part of it. But the biblical prescription for transformation is much broader, and I would say deeper than only your cognitive faculties. There's something that's embodied. Think about what Jesus said, the verse we just read, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Meaning, there's an active, holistic participation. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the walk. Meaning, there is an embodied sense of what we need to do. And so this is what I would like to encourage us to think about. Information is great, but it is your habits, rhythms, disciplines, and practices, according to scripture and modern research, that will change you more deeply than anything else. So what are your habits? What are your rhythms? What are the disciplines of your life producing in your life, specifically in terms of your spirit, if that is your, that this is your central operating system? Because if we're not aware of the kind of rhythms and practices we're doing, our spiritual maturity is only going to be wishful thinking. So anyone watched the U.S. Open this week? Yesterday, I mean, gosh, Coco Goff, unbelievable. The best tennis I've ever watched. Also the only tennis I think I've ever watched, but still, it was phenomenal. And this week, I think unrelated, my son Augustine has gotten really into tennis. Like every day, like shows up in my room with a tennis racket, Dad, can we play tennis today? And like, it's just out of the blue. None of us play tennis. And I'm like, great, let's play tennis. And um, there was one night that I had told him we'd play tennis, but things happened and like we got home right at bedtime. And I'm just like, you guys got to go to bed. You have school tomorrow. And he's just crying. He's like, dad, you told me we would play tennis. And Jen's like, can you just take him? I'm like, fine. So we like drive up to the local tennis courts, turn on the lights. It's just me and him out there. It felt, it felt like pretty epic actually. And going back, and the way Augustine plays tennis, because he's only been doing it for three days, uh, is if he gets it over the net, he gets a point. No matter where it is on the court, if it gets over the net. And as he's, as he's winning, because he's getting so many points, he looks at me with this kind of like swagger, this kind of pride in me, and he looks at me, and he's like, he's like, Dad, I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. And like fully believed it. And I was like, son, that's awesome. I love that. And then I asked him this question, I'm like, how do you think you're going to become the tennis player in the world? And he looks at me and he's like, no, I am the best tennis player in the world. I said, okay, different conversation. Um, but many of us are aware of within the athletic world, there's a massive difference between trying and training. 
You could be the most naturally gifted, physiologically built person for a specific sport. But you putting on a jersey, watching a game, and just getting out there and trying will only get you so far as in terms of training. And so what does that look like for our spirits? It's not enough just to hear a sermon, read your Bible every once in a while, look at the life of Jesus, and like, I want to try it. And I've, I've, honestly, I think that's been one of the most discouraging things as I've pastored people in their spiritual walk, is I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, but the question is, but what are you training for? What are those rhythms and habits look like? Because those drastically begin to change. Another story. Um, my daughter Zoe just turned 15 this week, and um, she announces to me that morning, she's like, you know, Dad, in six months I get my driver's permit. I know. Pray for us on your knees if you could, just fervently. Um, and so we've, we've taken her to a parking lot once, and we're like, okay. And it's, it's a strange feeling as a dad, like I'm sitting in the passenger seat. She's like, okay, li literally, what do I do? I'm like, okay, there's two pedals on the floor. One's gas, one's brake. She's like, do I use two feet or one? I'm like, most people use one. Um, she's like, okay, P's park, D's drive. I'm like, I'm like, these are windshield wipers. You don't need them. Here's a blinker if you do. And like, as I'm like talking about, and she's, she's overwhelmed by how much she has to think about in terms of that. And, and the next 15 minutes were both hilarious and frightening, this weird combination of the two. But what's weird is um, I just drove down here, and I got to be honest, I didn't think about which pedals I was going to push once. I didn't really think about what the, the blinker that I was using to change lanes. As a matter of fact, I don't know about you, there's times I show up at my house, I'm like, I don't even remember driving here. <laughs> I just showed up. Because I've done this so much, I'm so familiar with this, that it moves to a different part of my framework. Now, unfortunately, we have created spirituality in a shallow level that everything we do the spiritual tends to be at this like we have to cognitively think about it but what would happen if we oriented our life in such a way that we begin to have disciplines and practices that become less foreign and more familiar to the point that they become life-giving and life-altering m scott peck in his book the road less traveled says there are many people i know who possess a vision of personal evolution yet seem to lack the will for it they want and believe it is possible to skip over the discipline, to find an easy shortcut to sainthood. Often they attempt to attain it by simply imitating the superficialities of saints, retiring to the desert or taking up carpentry. Some even believe that by such imitation they've really become saints and prophets and are unable to acknowledge that they are still children and face the painful fact that they must start at the beginning and go through the middle. Or Dallas Willard in his masterpiece, The Spirit of the Disciplines. In our efforts to avoid the necessary pains of discipline, we miss the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus. Trying is not enough. And I would even say inspiration is not enough. I read this week that John Hopkins University did a study of people who had a cardiovascular surgery, like life-saving, life-altering heart surgery. 90% of the people who had heart surgery did not change their diet a year later. They went right back to eating unhealthy and things like that. But the same study found that 80% of those who had a loving and accountable community did change their lifestyle and diet. 
So it's not just enough to have the surgery. And many of us in this room have had the surgery. Jesus has come into your life. He's giving you something new. But the question is, do you have the people, the rhythms, the practices in your life to sustain the new life that Jesus gave you? That's what Paul said in this letter to the Galatians. Says. He says, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. Don't yoke yourself again under the yoke of slavery. Meaning that freedom was given to you, but it also must be maintained must be lived into by how we live. And so how do we do that? We do that by the name of the series. We build a trellis. We build a rule of life, a rhythm of life that we build those things around. Because if we can begin to incorporate certain rhythms and remove certain rhythms in our life, we will begin to start seeing the central part of ourselves turn. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before, and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning the central thing. Um, my, my friend Chris, we were, he was spending time with our staff, and he pointed out a story in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, that I thought was really brilliant. Um, which, by the way, it's, it's one of the books you see, like, in the airport. You know, it's, like, it's everywhere that you go. It's called Atomic Habits. It's incredible. You should read it. Um, but read it and think about what it means for your spirit. Like, what those, some of those things could imply. But he was reminding me of the story of a guy named Mitch who needed to lose 100 pounds. And so rather than just going and starting a diet and changing everything, he started going to the gym five minutes a day. And that was actually his rule. He wouldn't go for six or seven. He just went every single day for five minutes. Because before he wanted to change the molecular makeup of his body, he wanted to change his identity as a gym goer. He just needed to believe, this is what I do. I go to the gym. And the reason I like that story is, was by the end of this, we're going to show you a whole map of what we're going to be doing the next few months. And it's going to be, especially for some of you guys, like, you know, like three on the Enneagram, type A type people, you're like, I'm going to do them all, and I'm going to do them perfectly. I'm going to read every book he recommends, and then I will be spiritually formed. Um, the idea is not that, because you will fail. The idea is that you would slowly begin to adopt certain things and to ultimately change your identity into, like, oh, I am an apprentice of the way of Jesus, a follower in the way of Jesus. And by doing this in a, in a deep, deep way. And the question that we all left with, though, is, but what are we turning into? What are we turning into? And this is, if you don't know this, everything I've just said can actually be detrimental. But the important part, I would argue the most important part of this is, we are being in a process of being formed into, here it is, the image of Christ. So we read about in, in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, Just as we've been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Blaise Pascal says, You have to wager. It is not up to you. You are already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. So that's my, my question to you is, what's your goal? The Greek word, what is, what is telos, right? Thank you. Like, what is, what is that thing you want? 
Are you like LeBron James who wants to spend a million dollars on his body every single year just to prolong his peak performance? But the reality is that will only last so long. Would you rather spend a lot less money but maybe a lot more intentionality on something that will never decay, something that will last into eternity? Which leads us to my last point, and then we're going to pray. Matter of fact, if, if we're doing worship after. Yeah, if you worship him, you guys want to come up after or right now, that would be great is that spiritual formation does not end there. Otherwise, it would become a privatized, individualized process. Spiritual formation ends, like Maholan says, for the sake of others. You are, in the words of the New Testament, the body of Christ. Your spirit being formed into the likeness of Christ will propel you into living out what this looks like. For others. John Wesley says, there can be no personal holiness without social holiness. It must move beyond. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like to lead us in a, in a time of prayer, but before we do, can we put up just the, the series map um, of the 10 things that we're going to be going over? I sent it this morning. I actually don't even know if you guys got it. Probably not, but it's a great quote that we can look at. We're going to be looking at some different things. We're going to be looking at celebration, mission, generosity, simplicity, scripture reading, hiddenness, demonstration, fasting and feasting, hospitality, prayer, silence, lament, thanksgiving. This is all things that we're going to be talking about, but again, it's just slowing yourselves down to say, like, Lord, what do you want to do? So let me give you three questions as we conclude this morning. And if you want, you can take a picture, write these down, because this is not for right now. This is actually for the whole week. I want you to chew on these three questions. Number one, who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? Do you have a vision for that? Secondly, is your trellis, your current rhythm and habits, is it working in moving you towards that? which is followed up by a really important question, what is God inviting you into? Again, my friends, this is, this is quite literally a journey. It'll take us three months to go through the content, but it'll take us a lifetime to live into it. But as we worship, I just want to invite just the Holy Spirit to come and to do a deep work in us as we wrestle through these questions and ask the Lord, how do we reorient our life around the way of Jesus? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.